uh, we started a series last week called Expect the Unexpected, and last week I kind of ruined some of your favorite Christmas songs, uh, especially We Wish You a Merry Christmas, uh, but this week I want to direct us to l- the lyrics and the significance of the most published Christmas hymn in North America. Uh, this is the popular carol, Joy to the World. Joy to the World, uh, if you didn't know, was penned by a guy named Isaac Watts back in 1719. He uh, wrote it in what was called, or what is called, the Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament. And what he's doing in this carol is he's paraphrasing 138 different psalms. It's crazy. Uh, primarily, I think it's Psalms 98 is the one he's most focused on. But Watts never intended for the hymn to be sung only at Christmas. It was supposed to, he was just writing a hymn. But it's become an Advent hymn primarily because the themes of this hymn are, are the same themes that we celebrate during the Advent season. That what we see portrayed in this song in particular is we first see his incarnation. We see uh, God with us, Jesus coming in the form, or God coming in the form of flesh, in the form of a human. And we see that in the lyrics, joy to the world, the Lord has come. His dwelling in our hearts by his spirit, let every person prepare and, and uh, make room for him. Right? That's the lyrics. In his return at the last day, he comes to make his blessings flow. Those are just a few of the lyrics, but all three of these are aspects that are portrayed, all are theological aspects portrayed in the hymn, Joy to the World. Now, as people who have maybe been around the church for a while, or even if you haven't, it's just a song. It's just a song we sing at Christmas, but it's not just a song. It has such meaning and such depth in it that as I was thinking about unexpected joy this week, I was struck by one of the things that the angels spoke to the shepherds. So the shepherds are out tending their flock during the day, right? Okay, so you guys are going to have to, you guys, I just realized, you guys are coming in from the fog, so it's, okay, so... Anyone that's ever heard the Christmas story, which is everyone, knows that the angels were not tending their flocks during the day. It was when? It was by night. Yeah, okay. Just making sure you guys are with me. Otherwise, we're going to have a long morning uh, this morning. The the angels were, were tending their flocks at night. Suddenly, angels appear, the the heavens open up, and they say to the angels, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for some of the people. Right? Okay, so some of you are waking up. Okay, I'm just testing our our biblical knowledge here this morning. No, that that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And if you read through the Christmas story, there's significant number of mentions of joy. We we find that joy is all throughout the Christmas story. And this passage in particular is kind of the pinnacle of it. It's it's the, uh, it's the, the crescendo of joy when it comes to the Christmas story. The angels 
appearing in the heavens, opening up and declaring that the joy of the Lord would come to them in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem. What's interesting for us, if you fast forward this many years later, thousands of years later, what we find is that this idea of joy can be an elusive thing. It's something that we kind of have a hard time explaining. It's something that we often have even a harder time experiencing in our life. In fact, I think we often tell people, maybe subtly, that joy isn't something you experience, it's just something you know. It's something that you have cognitively. But as I read through the story, I was struck by the fact that I think for many years, maybe I've misunderstood joy. Maybe I didn't quite grasp hold of what it really means to me. I've taught before and heard lots of teachings that the joy that God brings is a joy that comes regardless of your circumstances. That it's an inner cheerfulness. It's an inner happiness that's detached from reality, but it's grounded in God. Something along those lines. Many people say it's detached from the things in life that we are going through, through, that therefore whatever you are facing in life, whatever difficulty you might be going through, you can still have joy. And although I think that's a comforting idea, I'm not exactly sure that's a biblical explanation of joy. I think we find comfort to some extent in that, but the problem is, is that that previously stated view of joy... Joy in the scriptures, in general, is actually attached to circumstances. In this passage in particular, it's you will have joy because a Savior will be born. The the angel's announcement doesn't read, take heart, don't fear, nothing in your life is going to change, but you will now have joy. That's not what it says. The angels state that everything is changing because a Savior is going to be born. That the coming of a Savior is actually directly tied to our joy. It was back then, and I would argue today, that the coming of our Savior, the coming again of our Savior, is directly tied to our joy. It was the coming of the Savior that changed their circumstances, maybe not materially, but definitely in a tangible way. The challenge for us is that Christianity, our faith, it's become such this delicate thing that we we don't really talk all that much about our salvation and how it's changed our life. We say that it's changed our life, but, but I'm not sure that we really put the weight of our joy into our salvation. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.3, he says, We have been, past tense, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Salvation actually changes our circumstances. Instead of thinking that joy comes without regard to circumstances, biblical joy says that God has directly and eternally changed your circumstances. Biblical joy says that what you have in Christ today is better than any difficult thing that you could ever go through. 
It's where Paul lands as he unpacks joy in the book of Philippians. Here's a guy who's finding himself in jail. He's in prison. His situation is pretty difficult. But for him, according to Philippians 3, Jesus is so much better. We just have a hard time believing that. It's, it's easier for us to keep it uh, kind of in this, uh, in this nebulous, otherworldly type atmosphere where it's just distant, that the joy of the Lord we say is my strength, but do we really believe that it gives us strength? Biblical joy boldly states that Jesus has come and he has changed everything. Biblical joy states that he is coming again, and that changes everything today. John chapter 15 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That's what we want. I want the fullness of joy. I want the fullness of him. I hope that's the thing that you want this morning. I want joy in my life. As we look at this world that we live in, it doesn't feel very merry and bright. It doesn't feel very joyful. It doesn't feel very, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's hard. And I think it's okay that in the midst of our circumstances, it's okay to say it's hard. But because we are people of the way of Jesus, we can have joy. I want to take a look this morning at, the Mary, at Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she is told her circumstances are changing, and kind of changing in a way that she had not planned for. And then I want to lead into, lean into the writings of Paul as we press into what I believe is biblical joy. In Luke chapter 1, it says, this is the angel appearing to Mary for the first time to uh, tell her that she's going to have a baby. Do not be afraid, Mary. Notice the pattern here of angels showing up and saying, just relax. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So think about Mary. Think about uh, your pregnancies. If you've ever been pregnant, if you've ever had children, uh, Think about your life, just in general. You have plans. If you are a planner, you have more plans than people that don't have, that aren't planners. But even if you're not a planner, you have plans. Think about your wedding. How, how many of you are married here? How many of you got married in a wedding ceremony? Okay. So most of us, um, yeah, even though you didn't raise your hands. I think it is most of us. Think about, ladies, uh, how long you took to plan your wedding. Or, guys, I mean, you know, I help plan our wedding a little bit. Um, that doesn't come as a surprise to any of you, I'm sure. So, so think about how long you had planned your wedding. My daughter, who's uh, Marley, is 11. Uh, I always have to ask just to confirm. Uh, she's now 11 and planning her wedding, right? And so she's got all of these ideas and, and all of these things, and I'm like, well, that's unfortunate because you're never getting married. <laughs> uh, no, she's already planning her wedding. There's something, you think about Mary and the plans that she would have had for her life. She was engaged. 
She's going to be married, and she's got all of the plans that she's prepared for her future, and all of that changes in an instant. How many of you had plans this year? We had all kinds of plans. We set out to, with Vision 2020 as our series, that these are going to be where we're going as a church, and the vision, and the direction, and now all of a sudden it's just been completely disrupted, completely disrupted. I'm so sorry. That's my fault. I yelled. I woke her up. Um, we just, we have plans. And Mary had plans too. And yet in this moment, an angel comes and says, all of your plans are now going to be set aside. It's human nature in those kinds of situations where our plans and our will for our life, it's natural for us to be disappointed when they don't go the way that we want them to. It's normal for us to complain and have a bad attitude. It's, it's normal for us to do, not do very well when things in life don't work out how we think they ought to work out. In fact, that's such a, a human condition that our God understands it. He knows it, and it's okay. It's okay to be disappointed when, when the way that we think things should go don't work out. But the Apostle Paul, like Mary, seems to somehow, in the midst of this, have this unexpected joy, this ability to go with the flow and to deal with these changes of circumstances. Paul is a guy who none of his dreams are happening. Instead of preaching on a stage, he's sitting in a prison. Yet even though his circumstances have changed, Paul had something more than happiness. He had joy. And maybe that's our struggle. Maybe our plans and our ways are really more about our happiness and not about biblical joy. Paul reminds us that you can have something that supersedes happiness. But I think we need to first understand the difference between happiness and joy. The first thing is that happiness is external. You're happy when things outside of yourself, that, that, those things make you happy. Donuts make me happy, right? I, if I don't have donuts, I'm not happy. Do, donuts make me happy, as you all can tell. COVID's been difficult for me and a broken hip. People, relationships make us happy. Like, for me, I like to travel. Upgrades make me happy. Like, like those things, I haven't had a lot of them this year, but they make me happy. Outside things make us happy. Joy, on the other hand, is internal. And Paul understood this as much as any of us. In 2 Corinthians 11, he lists all of the things that he had to go through. Five times he received the 39 lashes that Jesus got. He was beaten with rods. I mean, he was caned, basically. He was shipwrecked. He spent an entire night and a whole day in the open sea, just bobbing around. He finally gets to an island, he builds a fire, and a snake comes out and bites him. You think your 2020 is going bad? I mean, that is a bad run of events. 
It's like you finally are saved, you get to safety, you warm up, and a snake comes and bites you. But we all have felt a little bit like that at times. Maybe not actually having those things happen, but we've like, God, can we get a break? Can you just give me a break in the midst of this? And even with all of that going on, he still has the ability to pen the words where he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, everything in the external is bad, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Which is the point that I was making earlier, that happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is based on Christ. The reminder of the hymn, Joy to the World, is that our joy is because of Christ. It's because he came into this world to bring salvation to every single one of us. And that it's not just a one and done, that he's actually coming again. Happiness happens by chance. The bad part of that, though, is it's not up to you. How many of you would consider yourself a control freak? I'll raise my hand. I'm a control freak. How many of you consider your spouse a control Don't raise your hand. It's going to be a long day if you do. You can't control everything in your life. And happiness comes with things that are outside of our control. Joy happens by choice. It's up to you. We have to be careful to not let the things that we can't control, control us. Too many of us, that's our journey. If you're at the mercy of things that you can't control, I would just say there is another way. Philippians 4.11 says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So we can learn from these two people who experience this unexpected joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances, in the midst of a, a life that had a trajectory and everything was changed. And they did that first by, they stopped asking the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Why am I dealing with this? How many of us have asked the question, why am I going through this in 2020? It's just, it seems like every, we've also asked, who's making these decisions? They're dumb. But, but the other thing is, is why? Why are we dealing with this? Why are we going through what we're going through? Why is this happening to me? As long as you stay in that question, why, you will never find the solution to joy in your life. You'll just get stuck. And for too many of us, we just stop in that moment. Why is this happening to me? We're stuck in the situation and we don't know what to do. And you can stay there for as long as you want, but you will find that there aren't too many answers to the question, why. Mary didn't ask why. In fact, her response to the angel was, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. The angel had given her a promise, and she trusted that that word would be fulfilled in her life. She didn't sulk in the fact that her plans had now changed, that now all of a sudden her wedding venue's got to be rescheduled and all of those things. She just trusted in the promise that was given to her. 
And I wonder what plans of our life that we're focused on this morning that aren't working out the way that we thought, the things that are distracting us from the promises that God has given to us, that we're so focused on our plans that we can't hear his promises for our life. Truthfully, we live in a world where God never promised that things would be perfect. His promise is actually the opposite, that you're going to have bad days. You're just going to have them. In 16.33 of the book of John, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So bad news, you're going to have bad days. There's going to be some things you're going to go through. Good news is I've overcome the world and you can have peace with me. Philippians 1.12 says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. See, Paul, too, refused to ask why. He knew that the circumstances that he found himself in actually gave him an opportunity to advance the gospel. If we want to know why we're going through everything that we're dealing with in this year, I have, a, I have a, an answer to the why. It's my answer. I don't know if it's the Lord's answer, but it's something that I've, I've been contemplating and seeing over and over again. I believe that God can take everything that's going on in our world today and he can use that to advance the gospel of Jesus. That, that what could maybe be accomplished out there in the world could never be accomplished on a stage here. That he is equipping the saints to go and do the work of the ministry. So Paul refused to ask why. Mary refused to ask why. And they started asking what? Or answering the question, what, what are you doing in this? God, what, what are you trying to teach me? That question is where you begin to discover the great things of God. The what of this pandemic, the what of this chaos in this world is that God wants to do something in the lives of your family, in the lives of your neighbors, your co-workers, your schoolmates. That he wants to do something through you. Paul wrote a bunch of the Bible because his plans didn't work out. Paul discovered new opportunities because things didn't go the way he may have wanted them to go. That every one of our bad days is actually a new opportunity, and when we discover it, when we discover that when our plans don't go the way we want them to, we can experience joy. Philippians 1, 13 through 14 says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. This is Paul speaking. He's like, I didn't intend to be in jail, but I'm here. And as a result of the fact that I am in jail, everyone knows that I'm here because of Christ. I can't preach on a stage, so I'm just going to preach to the guy that I'm chained to. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And I just encourage you this morning that no matter what the future holds, what you may not be able to do in your current circumstances or your current situation or pre-COVID situation, just preach to the person you're chained to. Everyone is hearing Paul witnessing to these guys in prison and he's getting more done in prison than on stage. 
we have a joke when things don't go our way. We, we kind of joke around and say, this place is a prison. And it's kind of become this thing where now it's like, this place is a prison. And you know what? It's an, also an opportunity to bring the message of Jesus. It's taking situation and, and saying situations and saying there's got to be something good in this. Because mature disciples say that in the middle of something difficult, there's something to be discovered. And one of the most powerful scriptures in, in all of the Bible, in all of the world, and you know it, you could probably quote it, and sometimes it's overused and it's used in at times hurtful situations, but when it comes to the joy of the Lord, Romans 8.28 speaks to that. That we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him those who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that the things, the all things, aren't painful. It doesn't mean that the all things don't bring sorrow to your life or hurt to your relationships. It doesn't mean that in all things, that this is somehow this pandemic, this whole thing is somehow something that was caused by God. No one's saying that at all. But what we are saying is that God can take all things and redeem them. And you know how I know that? Because he can take this thing and redeem this. He can redeem me. He can redeem you. Because he can do that, he can do all things. He can redeem all things. Every situation that we're going through, In the case of Mary, what she was a part of was something greater than anything she could plan for her life. The what of her life was that she said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She stopped asking why and she started asking, what is it that God's doing in my life, through my life? That is unexpected. How do we prepare for the unexpected in our life? Because I think most of us would say, I want that in my life. I want to be able to go through difficult times, recognizing I'm saved, Jesus redeemed, all those things. Well, I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to prepare ourselves. You have to prepare yourself. Think about uh, in pregnancy. I've never been pregnant. I've, I've been with someone who is, uh, was, what. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Lord, you know my heart. And what comes out of my mouth is not prophetic uh, this morning. Was, pre- was pregnant. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the last time this happened to me, I'm just going to tell you a story. It's nothing to do with the message. I stood on this stage. This very stage, we were done, we didn't have any kids, and for whatever reason, I read the scripture about our quiver being full. And some of us, there's only a few, but some have been around to hear that message years, 13, 13, 12, 11 years ago. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because, like, not two months later, we found out we were pregnant with Marley. And, uh, And so, Lord, again, you know my heart. And, and I, I did not mean anything by that. Um, 
I just, I think I'm done. Um, <laughs> no, when you, when you think about uh, a pregnancy, when, when you find out that you might be pregnant or you're wanting to get pregnant, what do you do with your body? You prepare your body. If you've got vices, if you're, if you're addicted to caffeine, you've got to remove caffeine from your body. It's not good for the baby. There's things that you've got to do to prepare your body. You take multivitamins, right, to prepare your body for the health of the, of the, of the bundle of joy that you're about to receive. And I, I think about us as Christ followers that we don't really spend, it doesn't seem as though we're spending a whole lot of time focused on preparing ourselves for the second coming of Jesus, for, for the arrival of, of the bundle of joy that is Jesus in our life. That, that there's a point at which we prepare ourselves. And, and Paul addresses this with the, the church in Colossia, uh, in yeah. The Colossian church. He says in verse in chapter three, verse five, he says, I want you to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He says, and then he gives us a laundry list of things: sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you also must rid yourselves of all such things as these. So Paul is recognizing here, listen, prior to having a relationship with God, you lived in this whole crazy life. And now that you're a Christ follower, you've got to put that stuff to death. You've got to get rid of it. And not only do you have to get rid of that, now there's some other things that we want to work on in your life. And, and I think for the majority of us, we would read this laundry list and we're like, we're good, we've got it. But then we read this next list and we're like, oh no. All of these such things like anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And he goes on to say that, that we are all equals here. That there's no Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumbarian, slave, free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get rid of all of that, but then I want you to clothe yourself with things like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. I want you to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. He goes on, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom through the psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. He gives us this instruction to begin to prepare ourselves for what it is in the return of Christ. That if you want God to 
continue to move and work through your life. These are the things we should be aspiring to, putting to death that stuff, and then clothing ourselves with all of these others. The second thing we have to do to prepare ourselves is to prepare our environment. When you're having a baby, when you guys are having a baby, not us, but when you guys are having a baby, you don't just sit around waiting for the baby to show up. Right? You prepare an environment. You get the nursery ready. You, uh, you go around the house and you put the little plugs in. You baby-proof the whole house so they can't open cabinets. And you should, at least. And, uh, and, and you prepare an environment that is a safe place. There's a lot of work that's involved in preparing an environment for a child, as it, I'm sure it was for Mary, as you anticipate this arrival. And I would argue that as we anticipate the second coming of our Savior, we have work to do. We have work to do to prepare the environment that's here on this earth. First Peter says in chapter 1, in verse 13 through 16, in the message paraphrase, I love this picture. He says, so just go ahead and roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, all of the things that we just talked about. Don't go back to that stuff, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but now you know better. And as obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life that is shaped by God's life, a life that's energetic and blazing with holiness. Can I just encourage us, church, to be a people, if we are followers of the way, to roll up our sleeves and get to work. We have a lot of work to do. The reason our culture maybe is the way that it is, is because we have mindlessly, lazily stood back and not brought the gospel message of Jesus to people who are hurting, people who are hopeless. We've, we've lived it in our own personal lives and kind of kept it to ourselves, but there is work to be done to prepare an environment in this world. I don't want to mindlessly wait for the second coming of Jesus. I feel like this year has kind of got me into a little bit of a lull when it comes to my faith. It's like, Jesus, just come back. I'm done with this. I'm over it. Just come back. And just let's be in heaven. Let's just deal with the kingdom of God right now. Could we be a people who are rolling up our sleeves and going to work, sharing with everyone we come into contact with about the joy of the Lord? I'm firmly convinced that our work that needs to be done is less in here and more out there. But as Christ followers, we have been given a great commandment, or a great commission, I should say, a great commission to go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are here today, you're watching online primarily because you are interested in this relationship with Jesus. You're interested in a different way or you are followers of the way of Jesus. 
If you find yourself in the latter category and you are a follower of Jesus, you have work to do. It is not my job to evangelize the world. It's our job, each and every one of us. And you go into environments, actually we were discussing this this last, or a couple weeks ago, that uh, we have different environments in our life. We have our home, we have our schools, we have our work, we have our church, we have our favorite places, we have uh, our hobbies, we have all of these things, these environments that we are a part of. Our environment seems to be our home, our work, and our church are all the same. (laughs) At times, it feels that way. But for many of you, church is just one environment where you have circles of influence that go far beyond anything I can ever do. And you have an opportunity to take the message of Jesus Christ into those environments, to be disciple-making disciples for Jesus. This morning, will you roll up your sleeves? Will you get up off of your chairs? And will you take the message of Jesus to the world? This Christmas, as we sing the carol, Joy to the World, my hope is that it will comfort and encourage us as we remember that our joy, our unspeakable joy, is in our Savior. It is in our salvation. It is in our Lord who has given us the delightful duty to repeat the sounding joy. To repeat the sounding joy. And to repeat the sounding joy. That it is our delight to be able to repeat the sounding joy of his wonderful, wondrous love in our life now and forever. That when people see you going through difficult circumstances and it's not that you don't have sorrow or pain but that it's you have a recognition that our life is temporary on this earth. We have an eternity to spend with Jesus and I want to tell you about it. Let's pray.